Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Well, welcome everybody To Binge the Bible Breakdown This is episode Five, where we're talking about the Gospels, and so we're going to be diving into that shortly. But first, we just want to welcome you here and say hello. I'm Pastor Nathan, pastor here at Elk River Lutheran. And Jeremy Holquist, intern pastor. Welcome. Yeah, as we said, welcome. We are going to be diving into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we're also going to include the book of Acts in there here today. And so that's our topic for today is the Gospels, where with the prophets, there's a whole bunch of them. With the Gospels, there's only four. So we even added an extra one, the <laughs> Gospel, the, not the Gospel, but the book of Acts. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here today. So we're going to dive into these different books of the Bible here shortly, but First, we thought we'd start with just a little uh, question, which is, what is your favorite gospel? So if you have a favorite gospel or something that you love about a particular gospel, I uh, would love to have you share that as we gather here. Even if you're watching after the fact or listening, go ahead and uh, let us know in the comments. That'd be great. So how about you? you have a favorite gospel? I do. I probably fall on the weird side, but John is mine. Okay. Uh, so I love John's use of light and dark and sure. this idea of logos, words, speaking to previous creation, to kind of this continued creation. Um, so I actually find myself in John most often. Sure. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I think I really do like John quite a bit also in that it's kind of different, but there are things I certainly love more about the other ones. I like the kind of the cosmic grand scale of the Gospel of John, uh, the way it talks about the the world and life and faith. But then I think I really like the storytelling more in some of the other ones. You know, like sure. Mark has, has a real speed to it. It goes fast, and that's a, I like that. And um, I like the teachings in Matthew. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, it's hard to beat those, that whole long string of teachings. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and that's a lot of the things we'll get to here today, are these yeah. different elements that are so good. So... I think it's, it's hard to pick just it is it's, well and when you're kind of a nerd it's even worse <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, but I love that all four of them kind of paint this unique picture of of who Jesus is from these kind of varied lenses and experiences yeah. and, and all sort of wrap perspective around the personhood of Jesus it's, yeah uh, it's fun to like oh what was, what was Jesus like what was his ministry how did he interact with people or yeah you know, these big questions that lay kind of under the surface of these texts yeah so we're going to kind of work through each of these books of the bible for this morning but then we're also going to start by just a more pulled out view so i'll throw up the image of these books that we're talking about matthew mark luke and john we're into the new testament now so that you know 
after that 400 years of silence that we talked about last week, if you want to go back and hear that, there were, where there's a chunk of time where there aren't books of the Bible being written and that time of history not really being told, we get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That's the order that they come in, but not necessarily the order that they were written in, and we'll get to that, right? right. And so uh, one of the most interesting parts, I think, of biblical history, like one of my favorite you know, parts of biblical criticism and the ways that scholars have understood the Bible is this idea of where the different books of the Bible, the different Gospels, come from. And some of you have probably noticed before that the Gospels have some things in common, and yet they're all different, right? They right. all tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus, his birth and death and resurrection. Well, not always birth, you know, not always resurrection, actually. But, like, mm -hmm. the, they tell this story, but all in different ways. Some parts are, are really similar. Some parts are really different. And so I remember always kind of wondering, why is that? And fortunately, we have these biblical scholars who've kind of put names and theories behind it. And so I brought one resource here. Uh, the Diagram of Synoptic Relationships. So uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic gospels. And synoptic, you know, the word synonym, it's because they're very similar. There's uh, parts of them that are just word for word verbatim. There's parts that are, uh, that are just really close. At least the ideas are the same. And people have noticed this for a long time. So I found this really old resource. Oh man, this is gonna be good. Uh, at an old uh, theological library that was going out of uh, business, I guess. <laughs> and what it was, it, what this has is it breaks down, it's Matthew on both ends, Mark in the middle, and Luke here. And all of these color codings and the lines are drawing connections between like which of these books of the Bible are connected, like which are the exact same, where are all those connections drawn. And so Anyway, this kind of work was being done, and what biblical scholars came up with is something called the two-source hypothesis for the synoptic gospels. We can just lay this down. We'll pull it up later. Um, and for uh, to explain this, I actually created my own graphics. So believe it or not, I made this little graphic. Uh, here's the completed version. But are so, we high tech or low tech in this? Oh, we are sharpie on a white piece of paper. So uh, it is pretty good stuff, though. And so what you'll see here. So the idea is. Most folks agree that Mark was probably written first. And so you have the Gospel of Mark being written first. And, uh, and what we see in Matthew and Luke is that they take some stories and teachings just verbatim. So you have Mark and some of those same things appear in Matthew and Luke. But when scholars started looking at all those connections, they also noticed connections between Matthew and Luke that were word for word in Matthew and Luke but we're not uh, there in, in Mark. And so they started to think, like, where did these come from? And the, the way they're written and such, it seemed like that they weren't coming, you know, that Matthew wasn't just writing them, that Luke copying them, that they, they were, you know, coming together unique because they only took some of the stories and not each other because all these biblical writers were borrowing from each other. And so scholars came up with this idea that there must have been a different source, another source that they named Q, 
an unfortunate name in today's uh, American right. context. Q is not great. It's, but this is not a conspiracy theory based on the internet. This is uh, a biblical theory of, you know, Q stands for Quela is the German word. It just means source because they, they, they knew that there's this other source. And so that's what they how they labeled these additional stories that show up in Matthew and Luke, but aren't in Mark. And so they get uh, those uh, sources that we see that there's these things in common. And then finally, we get to the Gospel of John, is who's just on his own island over there. He didn't take anything from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or Q. He just kind of does his whole own thing right. and tells a story in its own way. And I think it's helpful to kind of think about this. Uh, here's the, the low-tech version that I drew uh, and uh, photographed for this. But like... I think it's a helpful way of understanding how these gospels are put together. You know, partially because it's like, oh, that's why some things are similar and some things are different. But it also gets at the fact that these gospels, none of them were really meant, written to be the be-all and end-all telling of the life of Jesus. The tradition at the time was an oral tradition, and so finally a handful of gospel writers just got around to writing it down. These stories that had been floating around for decades by that point, and telling the life of Jesus, and they wrote them down, each to their own particular audience, each to uh, with their own special specialties in mind, like their own gifts and, and creativity, that they, the story that they wanted to tell about Jesus, and they tried to, like any author does, tell a tell a story that makes sense and like has a flow to it and stuff and so anyway so that's where we get these kind of different gospel accounts and that's i think where we're going to go is diving into okay what is similar in each of these what is different what's unique to each of these books in the bible yeah nailed it yeah <laughs> anything anything else with that with kind of sourcing or things that no i think one thing um to kind of think about is the so we get the sourcing that you explained, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But then we get what happens when it's put into the canon. So when it's put yeah. into this kind of segment of all the books combined into one, mm -hmm. there's some thinking and ordering that happens within that is which yeah. tells the story, picking up from Malachi into the story of this sure. 400 years of silence. And that's Matthew's gospel because mm -hmm. Matthew really writes from a Jewish lens. Yeah. And so there's some of these kind of things that are happening. So they look funny. They're out of order. It'll feel yeah. like okay, you know, we're going to kind of go through them a little bit differently um, to try to help make meaning and sense of that. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the kind of key things that happens as we get to the canon and it's put together. So there's a little bit of adjustment that happens. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, I think this is a basic thing to help kind of understand why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so similar and John is so different, and yet also why they are all similar and different just between those three similar ones, too. And so. Right. And John's yeah. was written significantly later than the right. three Gospels, so it's used this kind of different uh, style of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. and the way he approaches is using this uh, circling back theory. Yep. So if you believe this is true, then this is also true, and it kind of moves us through. Yeah. Um, and you'll hear that in Romans, too, as we get to that one. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, shall we dive into we these should, Gospels? We should dive in. Do you want to start with the Mark as the first one? Or yeah. should we start with Matthew because it's the first in chronological order? Let's go Mark. I, okay. You know, the order we have them in the notes here. And so, because that's... I put the graphic here in order that they appear in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But like you're saying, you know, they put Matthew there when they put it together to help 
bridge the gap from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Right. Um, but I think it's helpful to kind of think chronologically since that's what we were just talking about too. Yeah. So no, we're going to start right. with Mark. Right. And so um, Mark begins with this kind of message of euangelion. Uh, you learned Greek today. Um, and I'm probably butchering it because ah. Greek was long ago. Uh, but this idea that good news, there's a story to be told. Um, yeah. And so Mark is really kind of in this approach right out of the gate saying the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, it's a message that we get to kind of wrap our heads around and, and really kind of dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, and he moves us into this idea um, of this kingdom here on earth and a kingdom of heaven um, and really playing with this language that we are a little bit more familiar with now. Mm-hmm. But people at the time, this would have been absolutely their language. And so the anointing of a king that happens with mm-hmm. um, King David and King Saul... Yep. You know, that God anoints them and, and moves into the story. And Jesus steps right into that story. Um, and it's this idea that the promise of God is fulfilled in the personhood of Jesus. Um, and so we get kind of these interesting connections back to our Old Testament that carry forward. Yeah. And really the audience he's speaking to are people of, of Jewish descent and Jewish ancestry. Mm-hmm. And so there would have been a lot of familiar parallels in language yeah and so it was important to connect jesus the person to uh this promise of god and so continuing to see that uh, thread throughout that yeah Yeah. i think the other thing i think of with the gospel of mark it's the shortest um you know it's it's we, we believe it's the earliest written but it's also the shortest and one of the things when you read the gospel of mark and it is the one like if you want to pick up and read a whole gospel Mark's the easiest, it's the shortest, and it moves fast. Like, not just because it's the shortest, you can read it the fastest, but if you pay attention, like, the word immediately shows up all the time. Jesus is always on the move, and, and you know, the way it's structured as a whole, there's kind of a, the, the book right in the middle, of like, chapter 8, where it turns, where it's like this life and ministry of Jesus, and then in chapter 8, everything turns and heads towards Jerusalem and the cross. And so, there, there's just some real move that just really keeps things going in the gospel of Mark. Yeah, often it's reading Mark is like drinking from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. It's just this idea of stories end abruptly and we move yep. on to the next thing because it was a sense of urgency. Yeah, now this, now this, now right. this, now this. Yeah. And, and Mark is writing with a lens of um, this idea in Malachi and these prophets who are really saying the coming king will come quickly and so we need to be kind of aware and on the move yeah. for that. And this is where this kind of Mark's immediacy really parallels mm-hmm. um, and lives into that story. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, Jesus isn't born in Mark's gospel, but baptized. Yeah. And so that's one note kind of worth lifting out to. Yeah, Mark doesn't have a Christmas story. It starts um, with, yeah, with John the Baptist and right. his appearing as an adult. Right, and so this kind of this idea that Jesus is anointed in through baptism, brought into the story as a king, um, and then we see this disruption of kingdom leaders, mm-hmm. and Jesus kind of butting heads with the elite or the top of the yeah. the mold here. Yeah. So it's this kind of interesting story of Jesus coming up against these powers that be. Yeah. Um, and so which kingdom is established through Jesus? Yeah. You know, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of heaven? Um, yeah, another kind of interesting literary device that the the Gospel of Mark uses, and and literary device. I mean, I 
feel like I'm taking an English class, you know, but like, you know, I think it is helpful to remember that these were, were authors who were translating essentially these oral traditions and writing them in a way to make the story interesting. So I think there is some intentionality in the way it's written that there is, he uses the word immediately a lot. He, you know, ends stories abruptly and keeps it moving. Another literary device in the Gospel of Mark is what people have sometimes called the Messianic secret. <laughs> um, and basically what that is, is you'll notice throughout the Gospel of Mark, and this happens in some other places, but especially in Mark, he's always telling people, don't tell anyone. Like, I am the Son of God, I am, you know, like these big predictions, and then don't tell anyone. And, and so there's this notion that this is a, is a big secret. And of course, the irony is we're reading it, so we're in on the secret. And that's why we call it a, you know, a literary device. It's intentional that you know, as you read the Gospel of Mark, there's this secrecy to who Jesus is that's not revealed till the end, except for you, the reader, who know the secret the whole way along. It's nice to be on the inside. Right. You know? Yeah, and in this idea that outsiders don't exist. You know, yeah. There's this kind of wrestling internally there, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, um, another place to lift up is this idea that kingdom, um, we talk about it that Old Testament, what do we see often with kingdoms is destruction and ruin. Um, we're hearing this kind of prophetic voice against this. And Jesus comes into the picture and the kingdom of God is actually brought into the world by healing. Sure. And so by restoration, by renewal, and all of these kind of layers of what the world has done is completely turned on its head with Jesus. And we, yeah. we kind of begin to unpack that idea yeah. of God continuing to work. And it shows up then again in, in the idea of the suffering servant, that mm -hmm. Jesus comes in as someone who will bear the pain of the world in order that the world might see that sense of healing. Yeah. Um, and we begin to kind of have to wrestle with this question, well, what is Jesus's purpose? Yeah. Um, and it is one of those interesting things in Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Any other pieces you want to really highlight from Mark, you think? Um, yeah, no, I think... This idea, the Last Supper is a good one in Mark. Um, the idea that the meal is betrayal. Yeah. There's this notion of what that would be. And Jesus responds by reasserting this intent for how the world would be seen um, and how Jesus would be mm -hmm. counter to the world. And so rather than betrayal, it would be a sense of, of cleaning, making yeah. whole. Um, and thinking about that as this notion in Mark's gospel of, of who people need to experience. Yeah. Um, and who Jesus calls them to live into moving forward. Right. So it's a good thing to know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, so then, of course, we, we get crucifixion, and, and that's the whole kind of passion narrative is almost half of the gospel of, of Mark, where they, where they, like I said, chapter 8, it kind of turns and starts heading towards Jerusalem, and then from then on out, everything is focused towards the cross. And ultimately then, of course, Jesus is crucified, and... Uh, and, and dies, but the resurrection is a little dicey in Mark. You know, like in, in the other Gospels, we get nicer, more full uh, resurrection accounts. If you read in your Bible, chances are any Bible you have, not just a study Bible, but there will be notes at the end of the Gospel of Mark that basically add a little more <laughs> like the and it'll say like original accounts didn't include this last bit which is the resurrection which is you know just 
going to the temple or the, going to the tomb rather and seeing that it's empty and running away in fear <laughs> like the end you know not like wow he is risen indeed there's no appearances uh you know of the risen jesus like saying don't be afraid i have been there's none of that it's just it ends in fear and that's the good ending the other ending is just jesus dies you know and so that's a different piece of the gospel of mark right yeah and the idea um the ripping of the of the curtain in the temple Mm -hmm. jesus is released that god is released to the world um and that's part of mark's uh illustration kind of point is this personhood of jesus coming in being sort of brought forward into the rest of the story yeah um, and so there's no needing to be made one way or another there's no insider or outsider but that guy yeah. is released to the whole of humanity right yeah. i like that it's a fun way to end yeah not really but <laughs> <laughs> well i like the, the the you know so the temple the the curtain of the holy holies which separate like this was the holy holy place that only the highest priest could go once a year and, and sprinkle a sacrifice and you know experience this presence of God which was there in a more powerful way than anywhere else at the crucifixion of Jesus that that's ripped and God is set loose that's the good part you know that the Jesus died and just laid in the tomb and we don't know what happens next that's not a great ending but right. you know um, but you know fortunately then the other gospel writers pick up and, and that's you know in our minds I think a lot of times we skip from you know like we always think at Christmas time well there's a Christmas story even though Mark doesn't include that and I think that's okay and I think even I mean there's a reason the biblical you know when they put the Bible together they could have just taken all these accounts and smashed them together into one book and just called it Jesus but they didn't they left these books individually the way they were written so that we could experience them as they were were created right that's good yeah and i think you know we as we lean into matthew matthew kind of has this perspective of yes so what yeah Um, and i think matthew's matthew's gospel being the first one comes out of this history of malachi um yeah you know well what does jesus mean to us now 400 years that's several generations of families yeah well that story gets twisted and and lost and kind of confused and so matthew begins this sort of piece together here's your history that you know yeah. But here's this person in Jesus who lives to fulfill that history. Right. Um, and he's really kind of saying, so what do the people of God do now? I mean, what's the, mm-hmm. what's our moving forward step? Yeah. Um, and it's this great thing because of the focus on this Jewish lens, this Jewish mm-hmm. storytelling, and really saying, you know, God is for you as a people, yeah. even though there might have been times it didn't feel like it. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're left with this interesting perspective. Um, and it comes, you know, uh, Matthew's genealogy begins it, mm-hmm. um, and then into this, you know, the, the, what do you call it, the crisis that happens, the virgin birth, yeah. and kind of moving into this narrative, um, and then kind of this, the first people to visit Jesus uh, as a baby are foreigners, they're the outsiders. Yeah. Um, so it's not just your Jewish lens, but it's also who in the whole of creation can be here. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting take. It is, yeah. And so that's where in, in Matthew we get a more traditional Christmas story, not the not the Christmas story that we usually <laughs> celebrate. We'll get to that more in Luke, but but very much, you know, it's the stable, it's the, the wise men coming from afar, the you know, yeah. folks from the east and all that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Matthew's gospel is this sort of resistance to evil and it begins with Jesus' temptation. I think yeah. this idea that we as people are called to resist this force of evil that exists in the world. Um, and Jesus 
butts heads with that and that's the question for us so what for us yeah um what are we called to do mm-hmm. and some of that is living out this promise that god has kind of carried forward through history yeah yeah beatitudes we talked a little bit about them yeah and the sermon on the mount as a whole there's a whole section in the gospel of matthew that is teaching you know, and often attributed primarily to the Sermon on the Mount, where you get, you know, some of the best-known teachings, like the Beatitudes, like the um, the parables about the lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, uh, all come out of that that Matthew teaching section, and it's right. good stuff. Right, and again, it's the world turned upside down. Mm-hmm. You know, everything. If you if you read the Beatitudes, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's just a really okay what do we what do we yeah. make of that but this idea that that the lowly become lifted mm-hmm. uh, through the presence of jesus how do we yeah. how do we see that ministry carried forward and kind of lived into and you can go through most of the beatitudes are in that same vein of the opposite is true yeah even though we still feel the suffering and the, the reality of life yeah and matthew's gospel really wants us to sit in the existence of suffering in the world and to think about who is the path out of that or how do we get out of that. Well, that's, yeah. that's through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew's account of the resurrection is probably the most intense. Yeah. Um, and so just thinking about um, the religious leaders push against Jesus, trying to get him um, put to death, and they keep mm-hmm. pushing this issue... Um, and Herod even washes his hands of the blood and yeah. says, you know, I want nothing to do with this. Um, and so Herod is kind of this interesting character in Matthew's gospel, too. Yeah. Um, He's not the criminal so right. much. Yeah. And again, the ground shakes in Matthew's gospel. I mean, he's got all these beautiful imagery of like what could be destruction is kind of fulfilled in this resurrection. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, and it ends with this kind of thought of that faith and doubt can live together and this is that fear yeah. you know thinking about this idea of um they left but they had questions or they left and they doubted they left and they had fear yep. all parallel in the end of matthew's gospel um and leave us kind of wondering yeah well and also the great commission you know which and that's where you get the notion that okay this is maybe coming a little later where it's like there's a church and there's an organization and there's people going and, and telling others about about Jesus you know that great commission go therefore and make disciples of all nations um, you know comes from from Matthew so that's good yeah, yeah. Luke yes Luke um, most notably a physician yeah uh, but also has some sort of historian uh, based on how they interpret the text so he speaks yeah. very well to the past and past history um, and kind of leans into that lens of reflection too. And seemingly almost commissioned to to write this story. Uh, you see that, uh, is it the- Theophilus? Uh, it's just, I don't know my notes. Yeah. Anyway, he, <laughs> it, it, like he has a patron like who is essentially, it seems, you know, paying him likely to to write this story down and so luke does in in a two-part story a two-part series you know uh, first the gospel of luke and then the book of acts also then is attributed to luke that goes into you know what the disciples do after 
Jesus has been crucified and risen, and then he ascends into heaven, and then they kind of get to starting the church, and and uh, ultimately then Paul gets into the story too. And so we'll get there. I guess I kind of summarize it now. But the Gospel of Luke, yeah, written um, you know by Luke, and this is where we get the really good birth story, right? The really good Christmas story that Linus reads every Christmas uh, in the Peanuts uh, telling of the Charlie Brown Christmas, you know. Uh, Linus reads from Luke chapter 2, and and that's the Christmas story that is the most familiar. You know, right. in those days a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. It's, it's a very familiar flowing that first, it's 1 through 20, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's a beautiful Christmas story that also it starts in chapter two because chapter one is the crown or the family tree basically mm-hmm. again right it's all the who who beget who beget who beget who like who are all of jesus's ancestors right in luke's gospel it's interesting to read who fits in there um yeah you know there's a prostitute there's ruth there i mean it's yeah. just it's kind of got another layer of development because it's beyond sort of our understanding simplified understanding of the story yeah. that the people who are most notably in Luke's uh, genealogy list are the people who would be considered lowly in nature sure. yep. and then they're elevated in these stories and so this is kind of Luke's kind of underlying uh, theme you're going to hear it in Luke's gospel a lot that the lowlier made her brought higher and the sure. higher brought lowly and so this sort of yeah. reversal of uh, power um, and reversal of really um, role, I think yeah. is a good way to say that. Yeah. Yeah, and so continuing, you know, there's all these kind of great stories, the prodigal son, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the sermon at Nazareth, um, the oppressed claim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, I love that language of yeah. those that don't have much are still kind of rejoiced by God. Right. Um and again, you know, prodigal son, the lost has been restored. These lost stories fall into this category, too. Right. Yeah. I said they were in Mar- Matthew. I said wrong. Well, there's <laughs> pieces in... Bits and pieces bits of them and pieces. Yep. So, if you jump in your bulletin this week, um, inside yeah. the main kind of text for this are kind of blocks of things that are unique to each gospel. Yep. But in the reading are similar stories. So where you're going to find the same story in all three Gospels, or all four Gospels, technically. Yeah. Uh, but, so, look at that. It's a good way to kind of keep yeah. us on our toes, too. Yeah, keep us straight. You know, because that's a part of the challenge, is that these, they're all so similar and so different, and yet, um, and, and share so much in common. So Right. Yeah. And it is even, um, like, as we get to the death scene in Luke, um, Jesus's death is really this upside down world. He has mm. forgiveness for God's people, not for him. Yeah. You know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, the story of the two criminals, for surely you'll be with me in paradise. Like, yeah. These kind of bringing up of people within Luke's gospel. Yeah. Um, and even this idea of resurrection, it's about us as God's people who are on this side. Yeah. Um, really thinking about what does that mean for us? Yeah. Um, and then this uh, road to, to Emmaus, we're kind of left with this interesting story. You know, Jesus walks alongside and they don't know him until it gets to this final moment. Um, and really to think about how do we how do we imagine Jesus's presence in the world? Um, yeah. And this idea that, you know, suffering is a reality of life, but it is not the answer. 
Um, right. And so we, we kind of deal with all these big questions in Luke's Gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And that road to Emmaus is just one of the great resurrection kind of accounts. And um, yeah, it, good stuff. Yeah. Anything else on Luke? No, we can go to John. Yeah. John is the weirdo of the Gospels, right? I mean, it's the it's the account that's the most different, right. <laughs> you know, that um, all that you know those synoptics, the three that are so similar. Um, John shares very little with them. I mean, structurally and like word for word, kind of. Um, obviously, it still tells the same story of Jesus, where they're, you know. There is a Last Supper, only he washes feet instead of doing bread and wine, you know. Right. And there is, you know, all, teaching and healing, and there's all those elements. There's the crucifixion and resurrection, um, but it's just it's just told differently. And right. I think one of the big, big differences comes right at the beginning, where um, we don't get a traditional Christmas story. And so I think it's so interesting that you know John would have been written into a context like kind of the last one written where those Christmas stories already existed and had been told. And so that's where I think it's so interesting that John chooses not to just retell that Christmas story, but to, you know, kind of start with this, like, cosmic drama. Like, to put Jesus into this big, huge cosmic drama where it's not just, oh, yeah, the story of Jesus starts, um, you know, way back, you know, in 30 years ago when Mary got pregnant and you know but rather going back to the beginning and using that language from the book of Genesis in the beginning you know in the beginning then was the word and the word was God and the word is with God and it it paints Jesus as this presence of God that didn't just become incarnate and manifest you know at the year zero but rather from the very beginning from the very beginning of creation God Christ has been present in this created world and that um, and so that's pretty big and that's where you get the light imagery you know the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it that's this big like painting of of who Jesus is who Christ is in the context of of the world that's different (laughs) yeah and it it hearkens some to the job text too in that you know were you there when i created the world will you be there when the world ends yeah this idea that this is cosmic beyond just this sort of momentary experience that we have yeah Um, you know god is in the beginning god will be in the end yeah and so we're left with a story kind of pieced in the middle yeah um and so there are some kind of connections old testament that come into into john's gospel as well so yeah yeah, um, it's this idea too. You said light and dark. That darkness is alienation. That, mm-hmm. And to be in the darkness really means that you're just not with the rest of God's creation. Yeah. Um, and I think this imagery for John is really kind of telling about living into that light and presence. Yeah, is is to witness and bear witness to what God has done in the world. Yeah, um, and in doing so, we're interconnected to that story. So much is relationship, you yeah. know. So much is just grounded in, in our relationships, our relationship with God, but with each other that we experience God with each other, you know. Right. And I think that's a, I think a big part of why Jesus' first miracle you have in the notes here is water turned to wine at a wedding reception. Right. You know, it's um, it's this this outpouring of God's abundance. You know, that whole wedding in Cana story is this like you know really big. Um, really big miracle but it's also it's abundance and it's 
it's relational. It's so that people can continue to be together and, you know, celebrate the joys of life. Right. Yeah, and the sense of merriment that comes in this mm-hmm. story is, I think, something that's wonderful. You didn't save the the best for, you know, the beginning or the last yeah. or whatever it is. I'm going to mess that story up. But right. this idea that it's jovial celebration that comes out of that. And it yeah. comes to, in this idea, um, John's approach to the feeding of the 5,000 is the reality is people have enough to eat, yet daily life is this challenge and struggle. Yeah. Um, and when God steps into the picture and when our dependence is on God, that changes that conversation and we're left with this abundance. Yeah. Um, and yet you still have to face the reality of life. Yeah. Um, and it, again, it's this idea that relationship is the priority. Yeah. Um, yeah. And John's gospel butts it up against religious leaders, probably more than most um, mm-hmm. in the fact that almost everything that Jesus does really alienates people and saying, well, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You, yeah. you know, you're doing all these actions and, and things that are just chaotic to this understanding of who Jesus mm-hmm. is. Um, and I think it's really kind of interesting to see that tension that happens in John's gospel again and again. Yeah. Um, that the countercultural nature of Jesus really turns the world on its head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, raising of Lazarus is another one of those kind of fun stories. Um, Jesus really becomes a threat when he oh, heals yeah. Lazarus because then this is someone who's healing, who's bringing life, who's who's pushing up against what feels normal mm-hmm. and he does so again by offering life I think that that term comes up in John's a lot right um, and so yeah yeah that that is kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back for the religious leaders in the in the grand narrative is that you know if someone can raise people from the dead you know of course I mean that challenges a lot of theological issues but even just political and you know power of every kind it's like that's the ultimate power (laughs) you know and yeah and it speaks to your capacity beyond what was normal or perceived or could be made up Mm -hmm. i mean this is something that that jesus steps into and against but it's also in the context of relationship because it's also where jesus weeps you know you get that shortest verse of the bible jesus wept um, because he's sad that his friend lazarus dies and that's you know that's not to be missed in the whole thing too is that even that is you know he is friends with Lazarus and Lazarus's sisters Mary and Martha are you know they're all in relationship together and so that's why it's such a tragedy and why he you know still raises racism from the dead right yeah and and it's also interesting too uh, John's gospel uh, Jesus mentions Jesus's mother is mentioned. Oh, that was hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, twice, right at the beginning, and at the end, as Jesus is taken in the cross and saying, "Yeah, this is your son, son. This is your mother." Yeah, um, and this kind of interesting exchange, and it's this idea um, that John has to wrestle with: how do we make meaning of Jesus's death? Like, mm-hmm. for the average person, death is this hard, yeah, untruth. Really, you know, how do I live into? Yeah. Those spaces and John really takes this head on by saying, you know, that relationship is beyond what we kind of wrestle with and understand as a person of Jesus. Right. Um, and so I think it is, you know, giving oneself to another is this sort of living into this life. Um, mm-hmm. And it happens again and again. And so sour wine, uh, good wine is his first miracle. 
sour wine is what he receives at his death. And yeah. so thinking about these kind of parallels, too, in the story. Um, and it ends with Mary entering the tomb. Jesus is gone. She frantically runs and tells everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus encounters her again. But there's this cool thing that happens is he names Mary. Yeah. And Mary knows who he is. Um, yeah. And so Craig Kester talked about it in terms of he's a professor of mine from seminary, but mm-hmm. he talked about that to be known, to know your name in John's gospel is to be given life. Yeah. Um, and I love that image of, of how that's lived out. Yeah. It is. And then we get lots of other good in, in the gospel of John, many more resurrection appearances, including, you know, Thomas, poor doubting Thomas and, you know, and these other, uh, you know, the fishing and the campfire by the, the sea. And there's just some really great resurrection stories where, uh, yeah, where Jesus greets him and says, this, this isn't the end. Um, yeah. And, and so I think we're going to, our, our scripture reading for Sunday actually comes from the Gospel of John 2, where it's it's one of the commands, that, which actually comes through the Gospels, this command to love one another that takes a little different language, but is pretty common through all the Gospels, and uh, to love one another, and it's also where Jesus says, I have called you friend, and and so uh, there that relational element in, in John just really carries through, and it's, it's pretty foundational. So why would we include Acts in the Gospel, Nathan? Well, we got to put it somewhere. Uh, that's one part uh, that, you know, it's not a letter uh, like the rest of the letters of, uh, of letters of Paul and the other uh, other apostles and, and Revelation, which is kind of a weird letter. But, um, and, and of course, it's written by, by Luke. And so that's where we thought, you know, this is kind of where it, where it fits. Um, the Gospel of Luke then kind of is meant to continue on into the, the book of Acts, and that's where it really picks up the story where the disciples are kind of around and Jesus is showing up sometimes, and then um, there's the big ascension, and he ascends into heaven, like we say in the Creed, and, and then those disciples are left to get to the business of creating what we know as the church now. And so it kind of tells the story of those early years of the church. Awesome. Good job. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it's interesting, too. You know, we talk about Acts. Um, mm-hmm. The Pentecost comes up in Acts. Yep. So Acts chapter 2. Yep. Um, and we're left with this story of language. In the Tower of Babel story, the language is used as a thing to build themselves higher to God. Mm-hmm. Um, in Acts, in the Pentecost story, language is used to become individual to communities that yeah. they begin to speak other languages in order that the, the gospel is communicated to people as a whole. Yeah. Um, and so everybody gets to hear this kind of common language, but in their own tongue. And right. so it's this, again, flipping the Old Testament narrative back on its head uh, to this kind of personhood of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's this notion that, you know, yeah, all can hear in this kind of miracle of Pentecost the the good news of Jesus in their own language, and it's foreshadowing to what will come for the rest of the time, which is the disciples and other early apostles will will travel the world, uh, right. spreading the the good news of Jesus, and and sometimes they won't travel far, and they'll like hunker down in Jerusalem, but then you know then Paul arises who travels all over the place and really you know 
ends up writing a whole bunch of letters to these different churches that he starts and meets along the way, and those become a big chunk of the Bible that we'll talk about next week. Right. And I think the idea, um, Acts 4 talks about, now the whole group of those who believed were one heart and soul, mm-hmm. and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Um, so this is the, the idyllic, idyllic, whatever, yeah. however you say that, um, picture of the church as a whole. This early church is that people just shared what they had and they lived together in, in a common purpose. Yeah. Um, and then we spend the rest of Acts and moving forward into the letters figuring out how we messed that up again. Yeah. Um, but this idea that people lived together, they operated together, they served together, that there's sort of this unity of the body of Christ. And yeah. The letters begin to kind of show us that that all starts to fall apart. Yeah, and it does fall apart a little bit in Acts too. You know, you get all kinds of really good and interesting stories. Um, You know, they they shared all things in common, but you get the story of a couple who tried to skim a little off the top and not share everything, but just share some, and like they fall over dead. Um, And so it's even more to the story than that. But like that's the the thumbnail version. But there are just really interesting stories. Like there's really great characters there's there's miracles and there's kind of odd things there's kind of funny things there's a kid who falls asleep during one of paul's long sermons and falls out a window and dies from boredom from a sermon basically and paul raises him from the dead then goes back in and finishes his sermon you know you can't beat that that's as a preacher i'm like that's commitment you know like you kill him with boredom raise him from the dead and keep on going so um it's just there's a lot that happens you know including paul like traveling around place to place and that's where you get the stories of you know then Paul in prison and the walls coming down there's just the great great stories and and this idea of how healing begins to take root in in the work of the disciples and into these communities and this idea of unity that continues to kind of formulate um, these letters and where we'll figure out these things going forward yeah it's just a common message meant for common people yeah and it's great to have those stories of Paul, I think, because as we get into the letters next week, the letters of Paul don't tell much about what he's doing or where he is or who he is even, you know? And so it's helpful to have that, that background going in. And I think we'll touch on that in the, you know, as we get into the letters, a little more about who Paul is. So I don't think we'll go into that too much here today. But um, Paul it becomes kind of the guy for how we understand church and faith, and his letters really build the become the building blocks of theology. You know, even in at least equal to the Gospels, if not more so, I would say theologically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's Anything good, else? It's the Gospels. Yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. Yep. Yeah, Luke Axe. Luke Axe. Yeah, Luke X, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, know we hope that you'll join us on Sunday. We're going to be, like I said, we'll, we'll touch on this stuff as an introduction, the preview in worship, and then uh, a sermon will ask the question, "What if God was one of us?" That's a question uh, from a Joan Osborne song in the '90s, a pop song, but uh, gets to that question. Okay, what do we do if God is one of us? What do we do with this incarnated Jesus who is a part of this world uh, then and now? And so that'll be Sunday, and then uh, next week Thursday we'll be wrapping her up. Uh, last episode, episode six, the letters and Revelation. So we're covering a lot of books next week, and and it'll be it'll be good. We'll get it. 
We'll yeah, right. If you're interested in Revelation, you'll have some fun with that one. That'd yeah. be a good one to tune in for. Yeah, absolutely. So until then, uh, thanks for tuning in here and spending some time with us, and we'll see you Sunday and next week. Take care, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.